one season to bathtub Ohio bathtub season to best friends no clothing confusing bathtub season it's bathtub season it's bathtub season it's bathtub season So Austin, after recording last week's episode, I left the recording feeling like our vibe was different. Now, I don't think it was ever said during the recording of episode one, but during the first episode, you had a bubble bath, correct? This is true. Did you have any bubbles last episode? So I did play fast and loose. And I was sitting in bubbles then, and I'm sitting in bubbles now. Okay, so it wasn't the bubbles that were missing. That was my theory. But I had an idea for a new segment called Sack Soup Seasoning. And it is about what we have added to our baths to improve the recording and just the podcast and our lives in general. All right. So what what are you bathing in tonight? So tonight I am bathing in a eucalyptus spearmint bubble bath from Bath and Body Works. Nice. That sounds wonderful. I have a bath bomb. It is Being French is the name of the company. And let me grab the box. It is their Balance and Harmony Bergamot Cedar Milky Bath Bombs infused with oat and coconut extracts. That sounds lovely. I know. And it has, according to the box, mood science scent technology. (laughs) Yeah. The new science. Yeah, the the new science of the mood science. So, yeah, I thought... I thought it would be cool each week to go over what's in our bath because last week I didn't say anything either, but I just had a pretty a standard bath, but with just some unscented Epsom salt. Nice, nice. Nothing wrong with that. I, I will say I am actually adding extra bubbles to my bath today because I did a gig on the weekend that I left with a free bottle of rosé that is sitting in front of me. Ooh, so... Bubbles on bubbles. Bubbles on bubbles. Let me get some more bubbles going. Very nice. I've got tonight the Sam Adams Just the Haze. Just hazy, the juicy. Haze. I know, just hazy, juicy, and refreshing non-alcoholic IPA. Doing a little six-month sabbatical from drinking well, since I got a newborn at home. Is he doing one too? Yeah, you know, <laughs> surprising. I, I didn't think he would. But <laughs> he's, he's so far... So far, doesn't have any shakes or anything, you know. Uh. <laughs> well, good, good. Yeah. So let's let's dive in to season one, episode three of The Tick, Couples. Couples, indeed. This episode opens with The Tick fighting Mr. Taken Stuff, according to The Tick, and Mothman, or Arthur, flies into a wall. The... Tick is still calling Arthur Chump, and then the world's worst fire effect, even for the time, this is 2001, even then I'm sure it looked awful, (laughs) just takes over the whole screen, 
and we meet two new superheroes, Fiery Blaze and Friendly Fire. We do, and I, I, I will say before that, when we see Arthur flounder into the wall, he falls onto a mattress, and the tick literally tells the robber to stay put after knocking him down so he can go over <laughs> to Arthur. The most wholesome, great tick moment, he's commending Arthur on the accuracy of picking the softest spot to land. I love that. Arthur, look at your accuracy. You you picked the softest spot on the roof. <laughs> I remember that part. I totally, totally missed the tick telling Mr. Taken stuff to uh, to stay put. That's yeah, hilarious. Just, just stay put. <laughs> <laughs> this is wonderful. And he does, you know. <laughs> until he's until he's stopped by our, our new superheroes. Halt now or face the combustible justice of... The fiery blaze. And his side kick! Friendly fire. Yeah, now, fiery blaze looked familiar. Is that actor from anything else? I, I meant to look that up before, and my day got away from me. Yes, yes. Fiery blaze is played by Ron Perlman, who is best known for being Hellboy. Yes. You're in love. Have a beer. Oh, my body is a temple. Well, now it's an amusement park. No, no, no. The glandular balance. Just shut up and drink it, would you? The whole episode, it was bugging me. Like, I know this person, but I cannot place it. He's been in a ton of stuff. I mean, I, I could list a bunch of things he was in. He's a big part of the newer Transformers franchise as well, I believe. Oh, but really? Hellboy, that was his big thing, yeah. Yeah, he uh, he apparently plays Optimus Primal. Hmm. But he's he's obviously, you know, no stranger to comic book roles throughout his career, although this is a bit different than Hellboy. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I think there's some similarities now that you mention it. They're both, like, not satire. I wouldn't call Hellboy satire, but they're both kind of flipping the head on a traditional superhero movie. I'll give you that. And definitely plenty of camp in both of them. That is what the take show is it is just it's camp the tv show right uh, but hellboy could be you know camp the dark superhero movie like it's definitely that so i i think they're incredibly similar his character is very different but yes <laughs> but it is hard to watch this iteration of ron perlman and put him in a hellboy situation yeah they both drink a lot i'll give you that <laughs> i'm not an alcoholic actually yeah i'm only here because I, I got a little drunk and I threw a flaming bag of feces into a building and I kind of burnt it down a little bit, you know? Now, right off the bat, Fiery Blaze and The Tick are like two chumps, according to if we were using The Tick's nomenclature. They are hitting it off. They go straight into a secret handshake that they both somehow know. And Friendly Fire goes over to Arthur and they start hitting it off as well. You can tell Arthur's a little frustrated with the situation, especially when... Fiery Blaze refers to him as a sidekick. Yes. Now, this gets him immediately pissed off. Yes, it does. Just just for a little reference, Fiery Blaze is wearing this black and red torso piece with, like, molded fire <laughs> armor and fire-trimmed gloves. Um, and Friendly Fire is looks like he kind of raided Elton John's closet. He's got this big flame disco-collared romper and, like, a big gold belt and yellow bug-eyed glasses, goggles, Yeah, and this things. isn't the first, I mean, this is the first time, but this isn't the last time in the episode that Friendly Fire will have somewhat of a rave aesthetic just in his life. 
Right, for sure. For sure. Very opposite of Arthur, where Arthur is the button-down tax accountant. Yeah, Arthur, and that's that's kind of that's something that that permeates throughout the relationship in this episode is that Arthur wants to stay out of things, wants to you know kind of keep to himself and like tone down his involvement with these people. And Friendly Fire is he's a bit neurotic, he's yeah. a bit clingy. They're kind of an asshole to him about being clingy, but like yeah, he is a and bit I, clingy. I that I I think at this point you don't know that you just you you. You see right, Fire and Blaze yeah. just being a dick to his sidekick, and so you're kind of on Friendly Fire's side with this. And I was, I thought this whole question was interesting. I hadn't considered it until this episode, but you know, they do kind of have that relationship, the Tick and Arthur of the superhero and sidekick. But once I was thinking about it, is I think this roles might be switched. I think Arthur might be the superhero, and the Tick is the sidekick. Because Arthur literally does everything. He figures everything out. He is, like he says later, he's the planner. And the tick is just like the hired gun, basically. He doesn't do, he doesn't know anything that's going on. He, he'd punch some underwear if Arthur told him to. So in my opinion, I think Arthur is the superhero and the tick is the sidekick. So you are... You are not correct. Er, oh, no, damn it. You are not incorrect. <laughs> <No>. um, <laughs> you, you are, you are not incorrect. They actually they kind of um, touch into this point later in the episode, I believe. They bring up the points I did, but I mean it's not spoilers. But they come to the conclusion that they're just a duo. Even after that, I was thinking that I still think Arthur is the superior one in the relationship. Yeah, there's. Um, I, I'm I'm going to avoid talking about it too much because I don't want to get into spoilers. But there is a, a point where you know they're they're discussing their relationship, and uh, Tick actually makes those exact points you're making, not calling him the superhero, mm-hmm. but making those points. And I don't I don't disagree with that. It's almost you know if he wasn't someone in the field with him like that, it would almost be more like the Tick would still be defending a gas station. Yeah. Well. <laughs> The, the Tick may still be defending a bus that's station, that's bus true. Station. Um, bus, he'd still be defending bus. But if Arthur wasn't in the field, then he'd be the guy on the comms with Tick. Wait, say that again? He'd be the guy in Tick's ear, like, you know, telling him what to do. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. So, yeah, I, I definitely, I agree. He's kind of the one moving things along and keeping things in line while Tick is the, you know, the strong man. Yes, Thinking about, like, you know, I think it's kind of going to, like, Batman and Robin or um, who's superhero? Superman's sidekick. Uh, Does he have a sidekick? Not inherently. But even if he didn't, like, thinking about those superheroes, they're both very smart people on their own right, and they kind of tell the sidekick what to do. You know, Batman would never, like, Robin would never tell Batman to go do something and he'd immediately do it, or vice versa. Robin would never tell Batman just to go do this thing, and him he would just unquestionably do it. Batman's super smart. Superman is fairly smart. I don't think he's a super genius like Batman, but, you know, same thing. Right. So I, I still, I think, I think the roles are, they, they could have gotten into this more. Um, we, could, we can move on uh, and talk about it more near the end. Uh, but I just wanted to, I, this, this got me thinking like so hard. I would not, I'd not, I know this is only episode three, so they're still bringing in concepts, but I was like, oh my God, they're, yeah, they're, they're a superhero and a sidekick. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Um, 
I don't know. I guess I want to I want to take a little closer analysis at other superhero sidekick relationships because I feel like I haven't paid close enough attention and I know that the whole power dynamic that they're, you know, exposing and turning on its head in this episode is is very common, but yeah. I know it's also not the only dynamic that exists in a superhero duo. Um, and I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if you did kind of run into that situation a little bit more where you've got the nerdier, more straight-minded sidekick-type persona paired with the, yeah, this is the guy that can, like, just fucking get shit done. He's got muscles. He's got invincibility. Like, he's, you know, he's got this shit. Yeah, and I guess, like, that's kind of—I'm thinking about it now because, I mean, sidekicks have kind of gone, I feel like, out of favor— in like sure, pop definitely. culture superheroes, I'm sure they still are in like the comic book realm. But as far as like Marvel and DC movies, you don't see that dynamic anymore. No, no, they they touch on it here and there, but they really don't do it that way anymore. But you have like 007 with um, what's his? Is it M? That's the uh, the the tech dude. Um, that is very much that same dynamic. Where 007 is right. not the smartest guy. And he would probably do if, whatever the other guy said, but 007 is definitely the hero. So I, I guess now that we look at it like that, and even in the um, in the the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, Morgan Freeman's character to Batman. Yeah, but that's different than being. I don't. I wouldn't call him a sidekick. No, 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 no. Just just that he's more like that M type. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get into this more. But this scene ends with Fiery Blaze inviting Tick and Arthur out for dinner soon. And <laughs> Fiery Blaze hands Tick a business card, which I think is hilarious that superheroes have business cards. But the Tick just looks at it, and all he says is, Zoom. And that's it. Is that what the card says? Is that all the card says? Is that just the Tick's reaction to it? And either way, it's a bizarre, even for the Tick reaction. <laughs> so so I, I actually I have that in my notes as well. And I, I do, I have it written down as, presumably this card just says Zoom. Nothing else, just Zoom. But even that doesn't make sense, because that's not in, like, if it said Boom, I would get it, because then it's like, you know, fiery blaze and explosion, but if the card just says Zoom. Zoom. Is, is, were they predicting the future? He wants them to jump on, like, a Zoom meeting? Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> is this actually the Flash's business card? Yeah. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I totally I totally agree with that. And this really is the first moment that you get to see Friendly Fire kind of speak out of turn in the dynamic of his relationship with with Blaze. Uh, so I just I just want to make note of that is that um, Friendly Fire blurts out after Blaze suggests that they grab dinner sometime. Great. How about tomorrow night? Um, where Blaze responds, Was somebody talking to you? <laughs> and this is where actually the tick says that tomorrow night is good for him and Arthur, but he doesn't consult with Arthur. You can tell that Arthur feels slighted yeah. by that. But I kind of want your thoughts on this. Uh, do you think that that was the tick not considering Arthur and speaking out of turn? I think he's more so personally just oblivious to that. Uh, but I'm wondering if maybe the Tick was trying to spare Friendly Fire the embarrassment, recognizing oh. that that was an uncomfortable situation. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. I hadn't looked at it from that angle. I kind of took it as a like 50-50 of the Tick, one, being oblivious, but two, also, well, I guess it's just 100% him being oblivious is how I took it, um, mm -hmm. that... That sounds great. We'll be there. Like, he doesn't think about it, just assumes that Arthur will do whatever, you know, he says, 
even though most of the time Arthur is making the decisions, I think in the past while they're fighting things, you know, Arthur's still learning from the tick uh, as far as that. So I kind of took it that way too, where the tick doesn't say directly to do much. So he just, you know, when he does, he would just assume Arthur would go with it. Um, but that's a great right. point. Um, I don't think it would be on purpose that it was the tick sparing Friendly Fire the Embarrassment, but I definitely think it did. Yeah. So from there, if there's nothing else about this scene, we return to Arthur's apartment for a very brief time, which... Well, no. No. We get the opening sequence. Did you pay attention this time what I was saying about the ending is like, this This needs a flash warning. Yeah, I did. I did it's actually violent, the, the way it strobes at the end. <laughs> like... Again, it took it, it. hit me off guard. I was even thinking about it going into it. I was like, yeah, is it, was it as bad as I remember it? And then it was like, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. But then, yeah, we're back at the apartment. And this was this was another one of those scenes that it wasn't a big scene. It was kind of a throwaway. It sort of just continued establishing the Tick has all this respect for their new adversaries, and Arthur is not so keen on the whole thing. Like I said, it's a very short scene. It's kind of a throwaway, but I think the dialogue's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I wrote down, I don't remember what the context of it, but I liked the line, are you denying the snazzy of that? I think they were discussing things being snazzy, and Arthur didn't think um, going to dinner was snazzy. So, no, so I, I actually have I actually have a, a, the more of that quote written down. It's, uh, did you see the blaze made that wall of fire? Who can deny the snazzy of that? <laughs> are you denying the snazzy of that? Yep. I, yeah, I, I love that. It was like it feels like that scene really existed for that line to exist, and I'm totally in for yes, it. Yes, hundred percent. I just didn't make good notes. <laughs> but this episode, just like the last one, has a ton of cuts, just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Just very short scenes. So we go. Yeah, a little bit less, but I they don't definitely know. It struck there. me more in this episode. Uh, maybe it was. I less, felt like I noticed it more on the no, last one, know. but maybe. They're both pretty bad with it. But, yeah, they go straight from that very, like, maybe, like, five sentences between the two. And we're in the diner with Batman Well and Captain Liberty. And the tick is absolutely drowning a single shrimp in Tabasco sauce. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And he takes, he, he, as soon as he's done drowning it, he puts it in his mouth and immediately is burned. And Arthur is like, why'd you do that? And his response is pretty. <laughs> What'd you put all that Tabasco sauce on it then? <laughs> pretty. <laughs> I think the tick might have had another stroke since the last episode. <laughs> another isn't. I'm sure he's had plenty since then. <laughs> like, or since he's been born to get in the state that he is. <laughs> it's, it's certainly something. <laughs> so they get talking with Batman Well and Captain Liberty about sidekicks. Um... And it, it comes up, this whole discussion, like, is Arthur the sidekick to the Tick? Captain Liberty and Batman Well are discussing it like they don't have a sidekick, even though they're always together. And the Tick, you know, one of his lines is him and Arthur are like a pair of Siamese winners. Great line. Yeah. <laughs> if I remember right, I think in this scene, they actually don't use the word sidekick. I think they're still, you know, that the relationship between Batman Well and Captain Liberty and Tick and Arthur, they see each other as a duo. They don't see them as sidekick and partner, but they are commenting on how Arthur and the Tick are like an old married couple and they're they're bickering and finishing each other's sentences and eating off each other's plates and whatever. Which is funny because that's if you notice everything that Captain Liberty and Batman Well are describing as being a couple 
is what they're doing as they say it. Like Batman Will and Captain Liberty. They're eating each other's food off their plates. They're finishing each other's sentences, which the timing was fantastic on that. So yeah, basically they're saying how they're too close and they're not the duo, but they're a married couple basically. <laughs> which they do they do have they do have points um, as the episode goes on, you see. Yeah, I had that written down later on that this is very much a commentary on like normal relationships and marriages. But basically the the Tick and Arthur aren't having it and they surmise that uh, Captain Liberty and Batman Well are just um, jealous because they work alone as crime fighters and they're, they're likely also just conceited. My favorite line from this scene is the Tick says, Lots of people work alone. Lonely people, for example. <laughs> I think that's the last line of the scene, isn't it? Um, I don't think it's quite the last line of the scene, but it's it's right at the it's right at the they're wrapping up. Yeah, we get another cut then, and we're still in the cafe, but it's like after hours. So I had a question about that. Is that just a different angle of the same diner, or are they in a different bar now? I was a little confused on that. It doesn't really matter. Oh, I assumed but... it was late at night, like they shut off some of the lights after the dinner, and then it becomes just a bar. Okay but I could be wrong. I'm, I'm done with that. I think you're probably right. I just, I wasn't 100%. Yeah, I found it strange too, but also kind of cool. Like, it seems like a cool cafe. It's getting cooler as they go along. I, I see why they spend their time there. Right, they're there a lot. But it's just Batman, well... Batman, well! Oh my gosh, I can, his name. Batman, well, and Captain Liberty. <laughs> and they're discussing if they're lonely. And Batman, well, you know, at one point says we're too attractive to be lonely. And then he goes into something that I really like, like not as a comedy thing, but just as like a really cool way of looking at living is the difference between being alone and being lone, as in the Lone Ranger. Yes. And I thought that was really cool. Like he makes the point that one is a choice. They don't play it off for laughs either. It's it's just a cool, cool discussion. Yeah, I believe he says loneliness is a predicament and lone is an aesthetic choice. And I, I do, I agree. I agree with his take on it. My main takeaway from the scene was just Captain Liberty was questioning her solitude and kind of looking for reassurance, looking for validation in that with Batman Well, who was like, no, I'm I'm alone by choice. I don't know what you're doing. Right, right. No, Batman Well seems very comfortable in his current situation, but Captain Liberty definitely has some questions about her life. Yes. Uh, is the vibe we get ending this, which goes right into Captain Liberty walking down the street which I don't know why, but this just struck me as odd. This is the first time we see one of them just a, like alone on the streets of the big city. Uh, we see it again later, later uh, with her. And again, it struck me just odd. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because that's not the framing we've seen of the characters previous to this. Uh, but she's walking down the sidewalk and just passes all kinds of cute pairs of things. There's a cute couple holding a baby. She passes a puppy store with a bunch of puppies in the front window. Yeah, those are those are basically my notes from this scene as well. It's uh, a little bit cheesy and cliche, but it gets the message across. Did you see what the puppy store's name was? I believe it was just called Woof, right? No, the full name. I had to pause it to, at the right frame to get it all. But it's Woof, there it is. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to see the signs kind of make a comeback there. Yep, 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 so was I. Then we get another cut. This is this is all very fast, watching the episode. It's just bam, 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 bam. Yes, I will say, like, you get a little bit of length on the diner scene, but the, the cut before that's very short, and the two cuts right after are very short. Yes, yes. But we cut back to Arthur's apartment, and the tick is shaving in the mirror with Arthur. And this was the first time 
it comes up that is is the tick living with Arthur? I believe so. The tick at this point playing the man of La Mancha with a shaving cream beard. I guess I believe <laughs> he fantastic. does live with Arthur. Because <laughs> they never go into that at any point before this or even during it. Like what the living situation is between them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're just in Arthur's apartment. Especially because in episode one, when the tick is beating up the couch looking for secret rooms... Arthur proclaims that he sleeps on the couch, which made me assume it was a studio. Oh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I don't. I didn't. I didn't register that. Interesting. <laughs> we see later in the episode that it's a bit bigger than this. I mean, it still might be a studio, but there's at least like a separation between a dining room and like a living room area. Right. And there's a bathroom, but we don't see anything more than that. So I, I don't see anywhere in any of these scenes that has a space large enough for the tick to sleep. So I I want to know more about the situation. Interesting. Yeah, no, I'm I'm intrigued. I I I don't know. I don't know about that one. And it's just them basically bickering, right? I don't have much more notes on this scene. Yeah, so there I just watched it last night. My memory is not great right now. You're good. I watched it I watched it for the first time all the way through last night and then I rewatched and finished some notes uh, shortly before we started this so it's f- fairly fresh for me basically you get the the initial setup they're there Arthur Shang ticks messing around I am the man of La Mancha my dream is impossible La Mancha Arthur expresses his concern and distaste uh, for the dinner that tick agreed to without talking to him at all Tick assures Arthur that it's just what he needs. Uh, And then it devolves into Arthur saying, how many times have I told you about the toothpaste? To which the Tick responds, I know what toothpaste is. (laughs) And Arthur explains that when, for what we assume is the umpteenth time, that when Tick leaves the cap off the toothpaste, it gets hard and doesn't come out. And Arthur has to explain to the Tick that... The tick never runs into this problem because Arthur always cleans it out and puts the cat back on when he finds it that way. Arthur getting more irritated. The tick just saying that is a strength in their duodum. <laughs> I I feel like this is very similar to a conversation I'm sure any couple has had at some point about something in the house. Right. It's like, you never unload the dishwasher. Yeah, because you do it. It's great. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> right, 100%. Me and my wife have a similar thing with the toothpaste, honestly. She squeezes from the middle, and I always squeeze from the back to get it all to the end. Mm-hmm. And this is just a daily thing we do, and it, at first it frustrated me, but now it's just it's just what we do. Just the thing. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's just life. But we do, it, I believe the scene ends with Arthur telling the tick that he cannot go to dinner with a shaving cream shaped like a Van Dyke on his chin, but the tick is really wanting to. The mancha. So that line actually comes at the beginning of the scene. That's that's the very first part. Is oh, I had him backwards. Arthur saying you can't go with that beard and the tick just going, La Mancha. La Mancha. <laughs> at the end, Arthur's just irritated that the tick is like, we're such a strong duo because you handle the toothpaste. And he's like, God damn it. Yeah. Then we go to another very quick cut of Captain Liberty trying to buy a dog. Yeah, the dog's name is Lilith, she finds out. The puppy that she wants that's in the window, the same store she saw the night before. Yep. And uh, basically, after showing no real understanding of the needs of a pet and misgendering the dog she wants to buy irreverently, the shop clerk tells her to take her midlife crisis elsewhere. Yeah, I'm 100% on the shopkeeper's side on this. Like, especially after buying a dog last year, like, 
and knowing now, the first time having a pet on my own as a adult, yeah, there's no way this dog, if she gets a dog, it is not being taken care of properly. <laughs> not at all. They, they should not sell her and one. she wanted to get a chow. Yeah, which are like, those are high-strung dogs and can be mean. Yeah, that was... Chows can be, can mess you up. I'm gonna fuck you up. The scene ends and I was just like, I am 100% on the shopkeeper's side. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not sure how they played it. The way the dialogue goes... I think they're trying to make it to where the shopkeeper's the asshole. I'm not 100% sure, though, because the way he words some things is a bit of a dick. Um, but he was totally in the right. Right, I agree. He's he's making the right call. He's looking out for the best interests of the dogs. He's doing it quite aggressively, and no, he's not doing it in a very kind or tactful manner in some ways. But he is well-spoken and is asshole-dumb, and he is making the correct choice despite not doing it as kindly as possible. We then cut to that night. They're at the diner with the Tick, Arthur, Fiery Blaze, and Friendly Fire. And the first thing I noticed was the huge plate of French toast that the Tick has. <laughs> Let's get some fucking French toast. So that... It is mountainous. That I... <coughs> sorry. That I did not notice. Oh my god, it's huge. It's stacked in the weirdest way possible, like, on ends. Like, the bread is, like, making, like, a little pyramid. Uh, it's just an ungodly amount of French toast. <laughs> I did notice they started this scene with an exterior shot of the diner. And I'm not sure if this is the same diner they're always at or if this is a different diner. No, I think this is a different one. This is, I believe this okay. is a different one because they do show the bar behind them in this scene. And that is very different than the bar we see at the regular diner. So I think, I have that written down, this is the first time we're seeing a different restaurant in this show. Okay, so this is, I guess I'm a little disappointed that they didn't do anything with the signs here because they started with an exterior shot showing it's the TikTok diner, but like, that's it, it's the TikTok diner. Yeah, I was, I the whole scene, I was looking for funny things in the background and they were, I didn't find anything. I, I thought they missed an opportunity with that. There's even other superheroes in the background and I was like, please do something funny with them, like some background gag, but there was nothing. Yeah. I feel like they missed some setup opportunities that I feel like they would have taken full advantage of in the pilot. You know, right, 100%. But basically, yeah, we, we go to this diner, and once we go inside, the first thing we get is Fiery Blaze finishing a story, the point of which seems to be expressing an immense amount of joy he felt seeing his sidekick, Friendly Fire, helpless and in danger. Yeah. Fiery Blaze then asks, what... No, is it later on that he asks what Arthur does? I think my notes are out of order. So the next thing is the Dick begins to tell a story in response, but he's cut off by Fiery Blaze expressing his distaste over the way Friendly Fire is starting his own conversation with Arthur. Yes, he finds it rude. Friendly Fire suggesting that they all go see the Back to the Future trilogy at the Odeon. <laughs> yeah, they want to go see the movie, which I thought was nice. Which the Tick finds nice as well. He would love to go. Yeah, and, and that was this. So this again, Arthur doesn't want to go. You can tell. He looks to the Tick for assistance in this. Friendly Fire's sort of addressing all of them, but addressing Arthur more. And Arthur's like, oh, well, um, Tick? And the Tick is just like, yeah, let's fucking go. Action stations. Let's fucking go. <laughs> this moment feels a little bit less than the first. First one, like, the Tick is, you know, kind of jumping to protect Friendly Fire's eagerness. Oh, definitely. This one feels a little bit more like just he's oblivious to Arthur's, 
not so subtlety. He just wants to go see a movie. That sounds fun to him. <laughs> but at this point, Fiery Blaze, he can, I think, tell that Arthur is like, I'm not super into what's happening here. Um, and he begins berating Friendly Fire again for being clingy and needy. And yeah, my, my notes on this are literally that Friendly Fire is a bit neurotic and obviously desperate for positive attention, but also Fiery Blaze is just an asshole. And that at the end of this, Fiery Blaze makes a pretty hard dig about Friendly Fire making a suicide attempt. Mm, I missed that. He says it kind of to Arthur as a warning, like, I'll just wait, you get close or whatever. He gets needy and he swallows a bottle of pills. I was like, fuck. Oof, that's that's dark. Yeah, Friendly Fire just like sinks in his seat when this mm. like he says that. I'm like, shit. <laughs> shit. That's that's not it's not funny, guys. <laughs> yeah, Fiery Blaze is a thousand percent an asshole. I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. Yeah. So it's at this point that Arthur goes to excuse himself from the table. Arthur and Friendly Fire go to the restroom. Tick and Fiery Blaze remain at the table. Yeah. So we then get like two covers. Conversations going on, uh, and I believe we start with the tick and fiery blaze, right? Or do I have it backwards? I, Again. I think you have it backwards, but it doesn't really matter. When we're in the bathroom, then we see fiery blaze and Arthur basically going over how fiery blaze is a total dick to friendly fire man. Their names are very similar, and it's hard to keep straight. Um, and Arthur's starting to agree with some of Friendly Fire's points. He is he is starting to be on Friendly Fire's side, or at least being more sympathetic to him. Yeah, it so yeah, I Arthur still really doesn't want to be around Friendly Fire, it seems like, but you know, he's now on two separate occasions witnessed nothing but the same mm -hmm. degrading treatment from Blaze to Fire. So, you know, he does, he starts to ask, does he always treat you like this? I think at one point at the end, he's like, but he doesn't actually kick you, right? <laughs> Only during practice is his response. Yeah, that's right, that's right. But they've been practicing a lot recently. <laughs> yeah. So yes, he physically abuses him too. Yep. Yeah, it's not a good situation. We then cut to the Tick and Fiery Blaze talking, and Fiery Blaze asks... The Tick, what does Arthur do? And I thought this was funny that uh, the Tick responds, he flies once, once in a while. <laughs> Mostly he yells like when I leave the cap off the toothpaste. Again, I love the way he delivers that line too. Like it's it's really It's great. very straight faced. It's not even like in a mean way. It's just like that's just what he does. He flies every once in a while. Like, yeah, he he almost he seems I don't know, he seems proud. He seems amazed. Like he he loves his his friend. Yeah, he right. He lo he loves his chum. He flies sometimes. He's like, it's a wonder. You should really see it almost. Right, hundred percent. But Fiery Blaze is kind of now telling the Tick, hey, you got to get your sidekick in order. Yeah, putting your foot down enough. This is not how the power dynamic's supposed to be. You're supposed to be quite a bit more assertive here. Yep, he is. He is empowering the Tick on the whole superhero sidekick thing and telling him to put. Arthur in line, basically, 100%. We don't get much more uh, after that, other than we got out of that, I think, is that Arthur is starting to be at least sympathetic to Friendly Fire, and the Tick is at least open to some of uh, Fiery Blaze's assertiveness ideas. Yes. 
Yes, he, I mean, he, how could he not? He likes the sound of being in charge. He likes the sound of not being responsible for minute things. Yeah, he's like, that sounds great. Right. <laughs> we then cut to Captain Liberty, um, and she calls Batman well. Yes, yes, they're in there. They're each in their apartments. Yep, late at night, and Captain Liberty is having a midlife crisis, basically. But we find out that she is 29. I assume she was mid-30s? I don't know why, maybe early 40s. But no, she's only 29. Um, is that how old all of them are supposed to be? Late 20s, early 30s? I, I, I guess, probably. Which, I don't know why, I just find odd. I don't know, I, it, is that the age of most superheroes? Now, is, it had me questioning like the age of what superheroes are supposed to be. I don't know, I feel like we have some old superheroes nowadays. Yeah, that's true. Um, but Batman Well has a fantastic gold knight robe on. And he's just, he's watching porn. <laughs> yeah, he is just having a, a stag night. Speaking of which, I got my, my discs reallocated for my porn. It's all handled. We're good. Awesome. We won't have any technical difficulties for hard drive space because of porn anymore. Nope. All handled. Uh, th that's what you do in your free time, Austin. <laughs> Masturbation's against the law. I should have been sent to the electric chair years ago. <laughs> to think that by age 14, I was already out to porn. But Batman Well is liking this vibe from Captain Liberty. He's starting to make it a little sexual, but he asks Captain Liberty, what are you wearing? And she responds, of course I'm wearing my uniform. And I mean, I guess this is the first time that we see Batman Well outside of his uniform, but it makes sense that he would be. But C Captain Liberty is like, of course I'm just, I'm wearing my uniform. Does, is the assumption that most superheroes just always have their uniform on. Like I could understand the tick because he's got a brain, one brain cell, but we have not seen Arthur outside of his superhero uniform either. So no, we've seen Arthur outside of his. Have, have when? Uh, when when he's shaving, he's in a robe. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay, yeah, but I just thought that was funny that she's like taken aback. Uh, my uniform. <laughs> yeah, we've never seen her out of her uniform. That just doesn't seem to be a thing that exists. Even wait, right. wait, wait, wait. She was, was she not in a robe with... She was in a robe in the last episode uh -huh. after she killed the immortal. Yep, that's what I thought. Post-coital robeness. That's right. So, so yeah, it's it should, it, it's not a given. You're alone at your own apartment. Why are you in your goddamn uniform? Yeah, uh, maybe she's just, she's just, maybe that's her thing. Whatever works, I guess. Yeah, and we don't honestly get much out of this scene because Batman Mo keeps making sexual advances and Captain Liberty gets... Frustrated and hangs up. And <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, that, that's really yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it's there's not much that happens there. Uh, I think that's why these sudden cuts struck me so much more in this episode because there are a few scenes that just have almost nothing to do with anything. Yeah, no, they're I, they're really just stringing along the side story, making sure it it stays in the light. So then they go to friendly fire showing up at Arthur's apartment. Yeah, but before then, we see them just to the Tick and Arthur in the apartment, and the Tick says, that Blaze fella is cool for cats. And Arthur and me at the same time while watching both respond, what? <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> He's cool for cats. cats. Friendly fire knocks on the door, 
And they open it, and he is there telling them that he has finally left Fiery Blaze. He's done, he's got a suitcase, and we're back to the same argument we've had previously in the episode where he wants to stay there for the night. The chick is like, sure, yeah, that sounds awesome. And Arthur's like, can we speak in the other room? Uh, the tick is like, yep, but I'm glad you're staying here tonight. And Arthur's like, well, then I guess we don't need to speak in the other room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like... Forget it. Forgotten. <laughs> that was it for me on that scene. My next one is uh, Batman well combining Captain Liberty and Bulldog. Right. And yeah, so we cut again to this and I, we're apparently in the next morning or we someday after at some point. It's now daytime. But Batman well again is in another great outfit. This this episode is full of wonderful fashion choices by Batman well. He is winning me over. I found him very annoying in the first episode. This episode Billion points in the Batman Well Fund for me because he's got some looks. He is strutting. He's got a, what is that, fur coat on with a great scarf. He is looking fine. And Captain Liberty, who at this point in my notes, I just started abbreviating to CL because that's a lot to write every time. Um, <laughs> she is having him buy a dog for her because she is no longer allowed to buy a dog. And she says, you know, it's the, the one in the window. Batman was like, hey, that's a chow. That's a purebred. That's a lot to get yourself into. And she's like, I want that dog. So he goes in, there's a hut, and then he's walking out with a massive bulldog, which in my opinion is a step up. I love bulldogs. Don't like chows, personally. He did get another purebred, which was his point before, but it's a definitely a better breed for first time dog owner. Just, you know, not someone who shouldn't own a dog. Yeah, she shouldn't have any dogs. But I guess if there's a dog, they, that's not a terrible one for somebody like that. Way less high maintenance. Uh, we then cut to her walking the dog, and she gets a ticket for her dog shitting. And this was another time we see a cop in this universe. And both times, so now this is the second time we've seen police in this world, and they're just giving out pedestrian tickets. So I'm starting to think that, you know, I asked last episode what cops do in this universe. I think they give tickets. I think that's, you know, parking tickets and, you know, just run-of-the-mill street pedestrian tickets. There's no superhero on this building like the tick was for bus to defend it from this bulldog's shit. No, no, there was not. We then cut, again, back to Arthur's apartment. Yep. Friendly Fire is in the bathroom getting it on. He is raving. He's got some mood music bumping, and he is doing his hair and just having a grand old time. Um, and we cut to the tick sitting outside the bathroom, and he, at first, and I thought he was he was into it. Uh, the way he's like dancing a little bit in the chair or at least rocking back and forth. I wrote originally and then I had to go back and scratch it out that he, the tick is loving this, but he is not. This song is driving me crazy. On this way, a great job. He never lets it stop. It's seeping through the walls. It's even making the tap water taste funky. Him and Arthur start this scene commiserating over how having friendly fire as a guest is, you know, not ideal. For three days now. Right. They make the point. However, the commiseration turns into Arthur demanding Tick get rid of him since he's the one who asked him to stay. 
and Tick says that's the job for a sidekick, and, you know, a fight between the two erupts over the new power dynamic that Tick picked up from Blaze. Yep. Then Friendly Fire comes out and takes Arthur to another lunch, a sidekick lunch. Yeah, because Arthur sends the Tick to patrol alone, and actually this is another time where we see Arthur in street clothes. I didn't catch that. Uh, Which is kind of funny because all the other sidekicks at this lunch are not in street clothes. Right. Except for maybe one of them. One of them might be. I wasn't sure about one of them. (laughs) Right. So they walk in. uh, Friendly Fire is like, hey... I want to introduce y'all to my friend Arthur here. He runs around with the tick. Uh, I'm sure you guys know who that is. And they're all like, no, we have no idea who that is. But he does introductions. And I wrote down who these three sidekicks are. We have John the Republic, works for Uncle Samson. Fishboy, the lost prince of Atlantis, sidekick to the angler. And Kid Caboose, who works for the runaway train. I was instantly fascinated with Fishboy. He is green, he's got some pearl necklaces on, and I wanted to know everything about him. I know what you're thinking. Here comes old Greg. He's a scaly manfish. I truthfully don't have many notes from this scene because, again, I understand the purpose of it, but it kind of felt like a throwaway as far as information goes. Yeah, we don't get a whole bunch. Um, You know, they're introducing each other, talking about a little bit of their backstories, and it basically ends with Arthur being like, I don't think this is the group for me. And storming out kind of gives some digs at the other sidekicks um, and their situations. Uh, But yeah, there's not a whole bunch here. I just left the scene wanting to know more about all of these sidekicks. They're, they seem way more fascinating than half the characters we've met on this show so far. <laughs> but yeah, we're back to CL's apartment. The dog is running around, tearing shit up. She's having a terrible time. And the dog gets into some hand grenades, which I thought, a bulldog with a hand grenade, that sounds like an awesome sidekick. I, I wanted them to take the story that direction. We now have Grenade Dog. Together, we can blow up anything. Irrational fear of gummy bears. Blow it up. Made too much spaghetti. Blow it up. Whatever you can dream of, we blow the shit out of it. But no. No, that's not the way to take it, but it would have been sweet. I mean, a grenade dog versus uh, apocalypse cow. That's the scene we need. <laughs> It's clearly the scene we need. And deserve, I think. Another quick cut. Yeah, this B story basically has nothing going on. (laughs) And it doesn't literally go anywhere. (laughs) It exists and they tie it in with little minute, 30 second, whatever clips. I think this is the first time we really have a B story in this show. Um, And I kind of hope they continue on with that. I think it works with this show. They just kind of flopped it with this one. But I hope they keep the format. Yeah, I agree. I felt like episode three had something going mm-hmm. for it, even if it wasn't quite there. But yeah, basically her her department her her department her apartment's destroyed because of this bulldog. Batman well enters, and then the dog gets a hold of a grenade and pulls the pin, and then it cuts. Yep, it cuts to the tick on the roof talking about being lost. And I love this scene because he's kind of like saying generic things about lost people, which I thought was hilarious that he never comes out and says he's lost, but the assumption is he's on this rooftop because he has no fucking idea where he is. I liked this too. I I cut the audio for it. He's narrating his own sadness. (laughs) He doesn't know where to go. 
Without his better half, he is lost without a paddle in the ocean of his own notions. This roof scene has some terrible fucking green screen, but I kind of love it. It fits the vibe so well. I didn't write that down, but you're right. It looks very comic booky. It's not, there has been some bad effects in this show um, that were just bad. This one was bad in a good way. I agree, absolutely. Arthur comes up and, you know, greets the Tick as he's facing away from Arthur. And the first thing the Tick says to Arthur is, you smell good, which that's a great way to, you know, you see a friend, just say that. That's a that's a good opener. It's it's very disarming. You can tell Arthur doesn't totally know what to do with that compliment, <laughs> but he's like, thank you. One thing I noted about the first part of this scene is one of the quotes that the Tick says is something about, call me Ishmael. He sees Arthur, he calls him chum. So my question was, was the Tick a sea captain in a previous life? I don't think so, but you're circling around notes that I actually have too that are slightly different about those same lines. What were your notes? Arthur, after he approaches the Tick and they, you know, they go through that introduction, he's explaining to the Tick why he thinks they are such a good duo and how they you know, fill each other's gaps. And the Tick, again, just genuine, I see the absolute best in people. This is where he says, Arthur steers the ship with his lucidity. You're on a first-name basis with lucidity, little friend. I have to call it Mr. Lucidity, and that's no good in a pinch. He literally says, you keep the ship on course. Yeah. Like he's, he's saying Arthur's in touch with reality, and he keeps the ship on course. I found this interesting because it was, it was at that point that I started to put together that in the scene where Arthur and the Tick fought, right before Friendly Fire took Arthur to meet the other sidekicks, the Tick made a Titanic reference, saying when the ship hits the iceberg, it's his job to hire the band. <laughs> That's a good line. Gentlemen, it has been a privilege playing with you tonight. He also then greets Arthur in this scene with a Moby Dick reference, Call Me Ishmael. So regardless of whether the tick was a ship captain or not there are a series of nautical references yeah. throughout this and it's it's absolutely intentional but for what end i have no idea <laughs> right i think the tick would make a great sea captain you know i think maybe that's more what he's suited for if he's just up there saying bizarre things at the helm you're like oh that's just a that's just a whimsical old sea captain saying weird shit. Perhaps he should captain a cruise line. Oh my god. I don't know if I would love that or hate to be on with him. It would certainly be interesting. Certainly. So yeah, they kind of make good. They're like, hey, we're a duo. We're not a sidekick and a hero. And then Friendly Fire jumps up on the roof and says, Arthur, you are hard to follow. Which, it is now nighttime. It was lunch when they last saw each other. So it was Friendly Fire running through the city for the last seven hours chasing Arthur. I really hope not. I think he would, though. He's, like, a depressing enough person that I wouldn't be surprised. I unfortunately think you're correct. <laughs> and I, I would imagine that Arthur wasn't, like, rushing or anything. Well, he might have been. He really doesn't like Friendly Fire at this point. Um, but I, I think it's funnier if Arthur was just taking his time. Yeah, a lot of time does seem to have passed for some reason. 
Maybe Arthur went to the movies. The Tick then senses something, which is a new power. We've not seen the Tick have this ability before of sensing something coming. It's so good. I love it. Yeah, he senses a drunk, fiery blaze coming. Or what do you have written down what his exact words were? I smell sweaty, drinky uncle person. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which is a good description. That's a good description of Fiery Blaze. Absolutely. <laughs> Though I do think we had not seen him drink until this point. I think it would have been more effective, this ending, once we cut to it. Um, if we had maybe seen him, like, nipping a flask from time to time. Yeah, I can see that. As soon as he arrives, basically, we cut to Captain Liberty's apartment. And the grenade good boy, who, which I've decided is the name of this new amazing sidekick, still has the grenade. And it's, they're still just waiting around. And this is the longest grenade ever. <laughs> it has been what seemed, what I'm assuming is minutes and it still hasn't gone off. Well, it's been, the, the pin's out, but it's been holding it in its mouth, so it hasn't been released. I don't think that's how grenades work, Austin. <laughs> Pretty sure that's how grenades work. That is how all movies and television have led no, me to believe that grenades that's work. That's you can cook them in your hands. You hold it, you pull the pin, but once you pull the pin, the timer starts, but you hold it in your hands, so when you throw it, there's less time than for the person you're throwing it at to react. No, there's there's no timer. You pull the pin, and as long as you're still holding the handle on, it's not going to go off, but the pin's what allows the handle to come off, and when the handle comes off, then the thing's I, going. I don't think that's right, but we'll have to maybe do some research between episodes. <laughs> I I don't know, and you have me now questioning things, but I don't. I think once you pull the pin, it's, it's going. I think what I said writes, but this is just okay. my understanding of grenades. I've never had a grenade. Basically, the dog drops the grenade from its mouth, and we're led to believe that the dog has expired. Yeah, well, you get that. But then it cuts, with no explanation, back to the rooftop. Yep. <laughs> to a very, very drunk, fiery blaze, who it makes this very long, pronounced, sad speech about how he needs fiery, a friendly fire in his life. Uh, friendly fire is like, do you promise to do better? And fiery blaze... Thinks about it for a questionably long time and then says yes and falls back drunk off where he's standing and then explodes. I took that as him kind of like swallowing his pride. Like when when Drunk Blaze showed up, he was kind of demanding that Friendly Fire come back and like still being an asshole. He's like, you're a nothing, whatever. And then he immediately like breaks down and says he's useless and depressed without him and he has no motivation. And then yeah, Friendly Fire makes Blaze promise that things will change and Blaze, you know, doesn't want to have to come to these terms. He's he's the superhero and he's he's the sidekick. I mean, like that's that's Blaze's whole fucking thing. But he swallows his pride, and he nods his head, and he falls backwards. Yeah, and I think this is all supposed to be for a laugh, but I just found the whole thing super depressing. Like, this is almost the most stereotypical unhealthy relationship. I could just see any couple where one person is an asshole and gets drunk, says they're going to get better, and then never do, and then the cycle repeats and repeats and repeats, which Friendly Fire has mentioned has happened in the past. This right. Friendly Fire shouldn't accept his apology. He should just leave. This was just depressing to me. Yeah, Friendly Fire not actually understanding Tick and Arthur's situation literally just made this plea to Arthur. Right. 
uh, I wish it would have ended differently. Um, I, I just found it super sad. And maybe that was the point. I mean, like I said in the last episode, I found that to be a weirdly good episode about dealing with death. And so maybe this is them trying to have a message about healthy relationships and what an unhealthy one looks like. Perhaps. I mean, I know we are a comedy podcast, but just to get real for a second, I think that I would I think that'd be really cool if that's what they were going for. I mean, there's always the chance that it's just easier to resolve. It's not, you know, taking away from the main storyline, so to speak, as to have him make a stand, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, it's it does serve its its purpose in that light that you see it too. Yeah, and now thinking about it, I I think it would have been the same amount of time for the scene if they would have done it differently. I mean, instead of the full speech by Fiery Blaze, he could have started one and Friendly Fire could have been like, stop, I've heard this many times, and then just leaves. So I think they still had an easy out for that ending. So this, to me, now seems intentional to just display the cycle of an unhealthy relationship. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think it gives a little more value to the sidekick scene where Arthur realized that he isn't this abused sidekick like these others. Yeah, 100%. My last note on this scene is just that Arthur and the Tick head to the diner, and the Tick makes a gay joke, I think? Oh, I didn't catch that. Well, so I may be reading too far into this, but he says, Friendly Fire left a tube of something in the bathroom. We'll have to get that back to him. Oh, I did hear that. I feel like there were definitely some implications earlier with Friendly Fire's outfit and the club music in the bathroom. I mean, it's 2001. They, they I, I feel like they were leaning into that joke. Yeah, but I don't think it was, I mean, I'm a straight cis dude, so I don't have any leg on this topic. But I didn't take it as being over a line or anything. I just thought it was funny that it took, you know, like if he was a gay man and he left his lube there, even today, the tick, I think, could make that joke. It would be like, oh, I found this tube. I need to see what it is. And I would love to see a scene with the t- like tick just covered in lube trying to figure out what it is. <laughs> no, for sure. And I I, th- I just, I, I wonder... I wonder definitively if mm. that was the implication. I believe it probably yeah. was. But yeah, no, I don't think the joke was distasteful if they were implying that Friendly Fire is gay throughout this episode, as I believe they were. They never were making fun of it. I'm glad I'm thinking about it. I wonder if the Tick is thinking this is some kind of new toothpaste. And he's excited to try it. <laughs> that was my thought, too. That was my kind of, like, tying in with it. He's like, he left a tube of something. It's like, well, we know it's not toothpaste because the Tick knows what toothpaste <laughs> is. I know what toothpaste is. Or maybe he's excited to try this new new kind of toothpaste. Man, can you imagine accidentally using lube for toothpaste? Ugh. I do think that probably was sort of meant to be implied in a way. I, I could be wrong, but I like to think that he's saying he left a tube of something after the whole toothpaste conversation, thinking like he 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 might he might have brushed his teeth with this. He might have this might have been a thing. He's like, this isn't a toothpaste. I know what toothpaste is. This isn't a toothpaste. <laughs> and you know, like, there's plenty of lubes made for eating, but it, even if it was one of those, it'd be like getting a glass of Sprite when you're expecting water, even if it's not a bad thing. It just, that's that's not what you're expecting, and it's not going to be a good reaction. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a totally different experience. <laughs> <laughs> but then we get a weird cut, again, but this is the last one, to the credits rolling and things happening during the credits. And this is the first time we've had this. 
this seems weird. Like, usually a show makes a decision to have that be in every episode or not do that. They're just playing loose and fast with their directorial choices. They certainly are, but I love the dialogue in this scene, so I'll give it a pass. I didn't write anything down for the dialogue. I thought this scene was kind of forgettable. It's, you know, Batman well and uh, CL grocery shopping. No, it's Arthur and the Tick grocery shopping, and CL and Batman well are all beat up and bandaged. Yes. So I have a hard time calling it a throwaway scene because it is the resolution to the side story. Oh, what a... What a sad side story. Right. The side story is so sad that it happens during the end credits. But the point being, I enjoy the Tick and Arthur's conversation so much that I give the whole scene a pass. Like you said, Tick and Arthur are returning from getting groceries, and on the way home, they run into Batman Well and Captain Liberty, who are assumedly coming from the the vet or the ER because they do have the dog with them. But the tick is talking about the checkout lady yes, you're and right. being suspicious <laughs> of her because she's giving him the hairy eye. <laughs> and Arthur has to tell him that the checkout lady has glaucoma. <laughs> and the tick is like, she's up to something nefarious. Isn't Arthur like, she makes $5 an hour. There's She can't do anything nefarious. Yeah. She makes five twenty-five an hour. She can't afford to be nefarious. That, that's a great line. That would be a great t-shirt, like, if we were to make merch. I make five twenty-five. I can't afford to be nefarious. Or just, I can't afford to be nefarious. That's a great line. That dialogue, that just, that whatever conversation about their trip to the grocery made the scene completely worth it for me. Meanwhile, the real purpose of the scene, Batman Wells injured from the grenade. He's got his arm in a sling and he's banged up. The dog, we learn, is now neutered, not dead. That is the outcome of the grenade. That's a very specific explosion, too, to just blast your balls off. So I agree that it would be, but then the tick says something that makes me question a little more because, yeah, Captain Liberty makes a comment that the dog is calmer now and Batman Well says, yeah, neutering a dog will do that, uh, although I question your methods. But then the tick says, where'd you get the platypus? Yep. So how fucked up is this dog? I thought the exact same thing. Like, this dog is fucked if it looks like a platypus now. <laughs> oh. Like, we got that it was neutered, but what else? Because they never actually show the dog, and I I almost guarantee the dog won't be a part of the next episode, but I do wonder. I hope it comes back, though. I, I really do. It's funny, though. This episode's a little timely because we literally had our dog neutered yesterday. <laughs> Theo got his balls chopped funny. off. Did you use a grenade? You know, I don't know what the vet used. She could have. I love our vet. She's fantastic, but I wouldn't be surprised. It's a more exciting way to do it. Certainly. Do you have a platypus now? He may think he's a platypus. I wouldn't be surprised by that. He's an odd one. I'll have to ask him after the podcast. What do platypi sound like? I'll know then. What is a platypus sound, Austin? Tell me right now. I don't know. I don't know. I assume it sounds somewhat like a bulldog. Really? Now. All right. Well, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. But did you like this episode? I did. I liked the second episode, but in a way I felt like this episode was stronger, even though the side story mm -hmm. wasn't the best. I felt like there were less quick cuts because 
the entire main story wasn't mm. a bunch of quick cuts for the duration of the episode. It was only the cut-ins for the side scenes at a certain point. At the weirdest points. I, for some reason, thought it was stronger than the second episode, even though... I feel like I enjoyed some of the content of the second episode more. Yeah, I felt almost the exact same way. I left the episode feeling like I I like this one a lot more than the second. I couldn't tell you why. I think there are funnier lines maybe in the second episode, but as a whole, this is a much stronger just episode of television. The second felt like very much like a rough draft of an idea. Even though this B story was nonsense, it felt like TV-grade television. Yeah, I really enjoyed a lot of the lines in the second episode. I liked the gag of it, but it didn't feel completely put together. And yes. this episode did feel more put together, even though it lacked some of that same level yeah. of content. And I, I'm I know I mentioned it before, but I'm really liking this episode and the last episode. They, I never expected of it all shows that it'd be the tick that they would actually try at least to dive into some some serious you know, not maybe not issues, but, you know, serious themes and topics. And I think that's, that's really cool uh, that they're doing that. Um, I also very much, like I said, I, I really liked this episode. For the exact same reasons you said, I find it odd that I liked it as much as I did compared to the second. But I did. I think the second episode would be better than this right. episode if it were more put together. But this one just, yes, it feels 100%. better. Now, what was your favorite line? And I think on the first episode, I gave just one. And the second, last episode, I gave a few. And I really, I'm going to give you all mine after you tell me what yours is. This one's hard. Oh, I don't know. There were some good ones. That's the thing. I have a hard time choosing what my favorite line is here because there were a handful that just... They struck me right, you know? Mm -hmm. But once we're, like, big and famous, somebody's going to make a wiki of our show and have to put our favorite line for every episode. So you got to at least give one. I can tell you mine if you want to think about it. Go ahead. Okay, so I had four, uh, which is a lot. But I think after sitting here talking through it, I think I know which one's going to be my favorite, but maybe it'll change my mind. So the first one comes at the very beginning when the Tick and Arthur first meet Fiery Blaze and Friendly Fire when they're beating up Mr. Take and stuff. And the Tick and... Fiery Blaze are talking, and the ticks that shakes his hand and says, Mandingo, how I grok your mouth music. And I love that. That's that's a great, that's a great just daily response if somebody says something good. <laughs> the next is actually another conversation between the tick and Fiery Blaze. And this I like for not the ticks line, but for Fiery Blazes. Fiery Blaze is kind of telling the Tick, hey, you got to treat your sidekick like this because this makes your life easier. The Tick goes, go tell it on the mountain. And Fiery Blaze gets real serious, puts his hand on the table and looks him in the eye. And he says, dude, I'm on the mountain. And that doesn't, I had to pause and think about that. What does that mean? <laughs> I, I love that. <laughs> dude, I'm on the mountain. No, it was, that was, that was a strong so response. Like, <laughs> like, go tell it on the mountain. I'm on the mountain. So tell it? <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. My next one is right after that when we're in uh, Arthur's apartment. It's just the tick and Arthur at this point, And you hear the knock on the door. 
And Arthur asks the tick, are you expecting someone? And the tick mm-hmm. says, I'm always expecting someone, Arthur. And <laughs> Arthur says, are you expecting someone now? And the tick goes, no, I, d- I don't think so. And that whole exchange, I circled the whole four lines, I thought was hilarious. I laughed out loud at that. Yeah, I, I liked that exchange a lot too. <laughs> I'm always expecting someone. It's very Batman. The last one is when Arthur and the Tick make good about how they do their own thing. You know, they don't listen to society about having a sidekick superhero relationship. The Tick finishes off that thought with saying, when society says jump, we say pass the salt. (laughs) I I did like that line. I did. (laughs) Um, Man, that's a good one. That wasn't what I was going to choose, but now that I say it out loud, that's a great line. But no, I think I'm going to go with, go tell it on the mountain. Dude, I'm on the mountain. Just because that is the most bizarre response. And I I laughed so hard at that. It's nonsense that sounds profound. And I just think that kind of shit's hilarious. I, no, I, I, I agree with that. I get that. We only shared one favorite line on this. Oh, wow. Was it the I grok your mouth music? I, I, when I heard that, I thought I was like, man, Austin's going to like that line. It was. It was indeed that one. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why that's hilarious because I, I literally, I thought that. I was like, this is going to be one of Austin's lines. Yeah, that one, that one definitely struck me. Man, dingo, how I grok your mouth music. <laughs> what a great line. There's so many lines in this show that I want to remember. I never am, but I want to remember to use in just day-to-day conversation. And that is one of them. Another one for me was, in fact, the, uh, the are you denying the snazzy of that? Are you denying the snazzy of that? That's a good one. That one really got me. And then probably sweaty, drinky uncle person. Um, I smell sweaty, drinky uncle person. I smell sweaty, drinky uncle person. The final one is actually, she makes $5.25 an hour. She can't afford to be nefarious. (laughs) That one is very, very good. I love that. I, I, I should have written that down as one of my favorites. So you gotta pick one. The Tick's delivery of Are You Denying the Snazzy of That and Mandingo I Grok Your Mouth music are very swaying. But I think I'm gonna go with She Can't Afford to Be Nefarious. <laughs> She's up to something nefarious. She makes $5.25 an hour. She can't afford to be nefarious. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad you chose that because like I said earlier, if we ever have merch, I think that's a solid line is I can't afford to be nefarious. Maybe that can just be our, our show's tagline. <laughs> Or just one of them. (laughs) So that was season one, episode three of The Tick. That was Couples. And next week we have season one, episode four, The License. Do you want to hear what Crackle has for the description of this episode? Go ahead. It is, the need for a superhero license reveals that The Tick doesn't know anything about his past. This sounds hilarious. I am so excited. I think just looking at the descriptions so far, I mean, I know this is only the fourth episode. Today's episode is the only second time we've like read the description. But out of those two and then this one, this has got me the most excited. This sounds great. I I want to find out he was a sea captain. Ahoy there, matey. Weirdo. Fair enough. <laughs> My water's getting cold, so I think it's about time we wrap up. The Iceman... This is Corey reminding you that we can't see each other and you can't see us, but we're both naked and we can see you. I can see all of you. (laughs) I hope you can't see me. (laughs) I'm Austin pruning up. (laughs) 
is that how we're ending the episode? night, the stars are sweetly ring. All right, see you later.